Plank Show, welcome in. This is the home of Sooner fans, The Ref, with Josh Helmer. I'm Chris Plank. Please join me in welcoming in greatest coach on the planet, Patty Gasso, joins us, head softball coach at the University of Oklahoma. What's going on, coach? How's this week treating you? It's good. That's quite an exaggeration introduction, but thank you anyway. Um, I, I had a couple <laughs> of others that I had workshopped here. You want to hear them when I was, I was going to bring no, you back in? No, uh, no, no. You don't? Oh, okay. All right. No. Fair enough then. Coach, first and foremost, uh, what a – can I use the word fun? Trip this weekend, I know that there was, there was long travel days, but just to see, just to see the way and how grateful Miami of Ohio was that we were there. I mean, the, the AD is down there after the game thanking you for coming to bring the team. And, and the Sooners went out there and played really well. I mean, that was, I don't know, it, it, I shouldn't be surprised by this, and I never am, but it's just, it's another really cool example of how this, this sport and this program has just continued to, to take off. Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. I, we go out there with no expectations. I mean, I have no idea what we're walking into. <laughs> when we walk in and I see the fans, and they've never before um, charged for tickets, and now they're charging for tickets, and people are DMing me. My daughter's <laughs> seven, we're seven hours away. My daughter loves you guys. Please help me get tickets. I mean, now everybody's searching for tickets. And when we get there, uh, warm, welcome. A lot of Sooner fans. Or a lot people of that are fans. just fans of softball that enjoy watching us play. Uh, our players seem to really enjoy it. We've never played in that area. And, um, you know, we kind of did a trade out. So we'll come to you, Miami, Ohio, come to us next year. So it uh, worked out like that well, and uh, I thought we played really well. I was very, very pleased with the approach that we had. We could have walked in going, okay, who are these guys? You know, let's just – no, they they knew they needed to get better. They knew our offense needed to start trending upwards again, and uh, pitchers were outstanding. Defense, again, was very good. So I was happy with the trip and the way we played and just – I think our players are really – it's hard to comprehend, Plank, that we are changing the game the way we are. Like, wherever we go, we're selling out. It's unheard of. It's unheard of that people, Sooner fans, are traveling from other states to come watch us play because they can't get into our home games. It's uh, just pretty amazing. Wow. We're honored. And it just kind of puts pressure to want to play good or people who are spending the time and money to come out and see us. So uh, it, was, it was a really great trip. It was awesome. I, I, I thought it was cool. And that was a really, really neat campus. You're driving, you're driving, and then boom, there's a school. You're like, whoa, okay. There's, they're just right in the middle of a rural area. There's Miami of Ohio. But now, as you start to look forward, I, I saw those two different strategies against Oklahoma collide this weekend, right? You saw Louisville try to go with the pitcher that had only been – you know, thrown, what, five times this year, hadn't thrown since March, and she comes in in the first, and we put a touchdown on – you, you all put a touchdown on her and kind of implodes that theory of different pitcher every inning. Miami of Ohio went with their ace, and she had some success, but inevitably you got to her. Um, how, how have you seen this team, yourself, JT, these players adjust to what has been a, a, a variety of different strategies to try to come up with any way to slow you down? Yeah, again, it's an honor because you haven't seen anyone do that really before. And so if that's your way to try to beat us, uh, it kind of threw us off for a bit, to be honest, at first. But now they look at it as a challenge. 
and like bring it on kind of attitude. And that, that showed this weekend. So I, I think they're, they're welcoming it versus, oh, gosh, what is this? Wait, who is this picture again? <laughs> no, it's a lot of, like, wait, did we talk about her? <laughs> we don't even know what she, uh, so the prep has changed a bit. JT's done a really good job of having our hitters ready for anything. And, uh, again, I just think they've enjoyed the challenge. Now they're embracing the challenge. Is, is this, I, and, and, again, like I, I'm still learning every single year, but for most teams, Coach, I feel like when I look at their roster, there's three pitchers, maybe a fourth. Um, is this more of, of kind of a, a COVID thing to where there's still those uh, eligibility, if you'll hang chads with some of the players that have a fifth or sixth year there, and, and that's why we're seeing pitching staffs with, with six or seven available arms? Or is it kind of a, a change in that staff mindset that we're seeing more across the sport? Gosh, that's a good question. I think a little bit of both. You know, I think after next season, um, we're going to lose seven athletes, and those are those super seniors and seniors. Every every program's going to get drained in some way, shape, or form. So I do think COVID probably has kept some around, but it seems, uh, I, at least for me, the way I look at it is there's no way you can ever have, personally, less than three solid, solid pitchers. And KD adds that extra fuel to take, come in and give us a good lefty matchup, but also come in and, and get some innings and take it off of somebody that might have been laboring through a game. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to keep these pitchers healthy. And I think that's one thing that I have found in the last you know, 10 years or so is that some of these young pitchers are overthrowing in high school and travel ball and coming in with injuries that they're not even sure they had, or maybe they felt a little bit of pain or what have you, but the intensity at this level is quite different as well. So pitchers aren't pitching doubleheaders here. They shouldn't be. Um, if they are, then I'm not doing a good job. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep these pitchers fresh and hungry, and they've really – the. Our pitching staff, Jen Roach has done a great job of creating their own little team within a team. And they really root for each other, and they enjoy rooting for each other, and they're very prideful of their ERA as a staff and the things that they're doing on the mound because they're together so much. So it's been a wonderful relationship for our pitchers, but I certainly would not have less than four on a staff. You know, it's, it, you say that, and I'm looking back to uh, when Kirsten came into that first game. The people that are there at the front of the dugout cheering the loudest are Nicole May, Alex Taraco, Jordy Ball is right there. Uh, I mean, it's just it's really cool to see what they've developed. All right, so I'm, I'm going to get you up. I get to talk to you a lot, and I'm very greedy about that time. But I had two really good questions on text that I wanted to ask you. Number one, the development of Sophia Nugent. I know that well, she had a bomb the other day but what have you seen from from her and what's that next step in Sophia Nugent's development I love the fact that she's willing to do anything to get on the field and half of her hits are home runs this year yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well she's smart to say I'll play wherever you need me to play because that gets you in the game and she works hard at it I've got more catchers than I've ever had in my lifetime <laughs> And they all are very, very good. They all could be 
viable starters. Uh, but experience right now is important for us. And I keep trying to give Sophia opportunities. She is a big opportunity as a catcher in waiting or, or working once Haley Lee is gone, kind of working in unison. She's probably gotten more opportunities than Haley Lee behind the plate because she is our catcher in waiting. Um, but she's really not, again, waiting. But she's trying to play other positions, and she's done a good job in the outfield. And what's the difference? With Sophia, I think this year is her confidence and um, just keeping her feet on the ground. You know, freshmen come in. After you win a championship, they're like, I don't belong here. They're too good for me. I can't keep up with them. And all these head games that they're playing. And I think Sophia grew out of a lot of that. She let her personality come out. She's very comfortable with the team. She's very um, outspoken. She'll speak up. She'll give her opinion. She is very very locked in to softball. She's like the takes the notes that JT dict, she's a dictate. Um, she takes the notes for that. So anytime we're talking about hitters, she opens her book. She tells everybody what we're facing, what we're going to be looking for. She's very, very, very invested and very confident in her play. And then the second question, yeah. This is going to be a little bit of a reach of a comparison. But every time I look out at USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium, I feel like there's more space in the outfield. And Destiny Martinez always says, it's kind of an optical illusion. There's really not more space. So, with that terrible transition, I feel like I look at the schedule this year and maybe we haven't played as many midweek games. Now, this is after a Tuesday in Baton Rouge and next Tuesday and Wednesday being in Wichita and Tulsa. Has there been fewer midweeks this year, Coach? Has that been kind of a scheduling change, or is it just that optical illusion fooling me? Uh, <laughs> no, it's real. I mean, there isn't as <laughs> midweeks, and that's because I can't get anyone to come here midweek. <laughs> and if you ever see that we play a midweek, we are usually going to it. So that is the hard part is uh, people just don't want to play us and drivable teams don't want to drive here. And to me, if we're going to play a midweek, I want it to be something that is worth it, that is challenging. It doesn't help us to play a team that's not in the top 100. You know, you'll get the win, but it actually hurts your RPI because of who they play or who they've lost to or what have you. So uh, I've been pretty particular with midweeks and even trying to get them here playing they're like uh yeah no thank you good luck good luck have a good season good luck so that's why look if we're going somewhere we're going big we're going to lsu we're going to wichita wichita we have a, a yearly agreement back and forth so it's our time to go there as well as tulsa uh we got Florida State here. I, I mean, we've had some really the best midweeks I think we've ever had. So I, I'm okay with it. Hey, before I before I talk about this weekend and, and get you out of here, how about what's going on at, at, at Wichita State right now? I mean, I I know we're going out there next week, but you and Crest, uh, Christy Breadbinner, you guys have had a really solid relationship. Uh, we got Nicole Pinley up there as the director of operations. They they beat OSU again last night. I mean, that's they've really got to cook, and they're knocking on the door of hosting a regional. Oh, absolutely. They they are fearless. They always have been. They're very confident. They have a couple of the best hitters in the country, without question. Um, I think their pitching staff is 
getting stronger. I think that might have been their – they've always had outstanding hitters. She's done a great job with getting the most out of her hitters. And they love to play the big dogs. But you know what? They believe they are a big dog. And I believe they are too. But the country just doesn't see it. I think that they're always so underrated. And um, that's the scary part is you walk in going, you know, oh, they're a mid-major. You know, if you have that attitude, you're going to hope. So uh, they're good, good hitters. Their uh, pitching staff has definitely proved to shut some of these teams down, you know, and some big offensive powers they've shut down. They've beaten – I think they've beaten the Arkansas. I mean, they've had some really big, big wins, big ranked wins, and um, they're moving up in the rankings, and I still think they're a little low for uh, where they are and what they've done. Coach, I'll let you go on this. Uh, you know, from our show and our text and the calls of the show, they want to say, oh, we got to go get revenge, got to take a- that one loss. But I know that's it's just about playing better and be the best version of OU. So as you head to Waco this weekend – what have you seen in the team's prep? How have they handled heading back down to a place where there was a little adversity earlier this year? Uh, plank, we like the word revenge. So oh. don't. Okay. <laughs> um, we take pride in um, our play. And if somebody beats us, we kind of tip our hat. We go back to the drawing board and we learn. And we find ways to get better. We definitely have done that. And to this team, it's like full circle. Okay, you saw us the second weekend, uh, and we didn't we – didn't, I mean, you guys played well. You flat-out beat us. No excuses. But they're very anxious to come back kind of full circle and say, okay, now this is April, and this is who we are. And I think it's hard to beat us twice, and our team takes a lot of pride in the fact that um, you may beat us once, but it's really hard for you to beat us twice. I think they really feel that in, in a sense. And so there's nothing I have to do in motivating this weekend. <laughs> I'm really excited about um, our approach and what we're going to bring and the confidence. I love the fact that we had that this last weekend. We could have gone in last weekend and thought, oh, okay, you know, oh, my, I'm a hand. Miami of Ohio, what, who, what, where is it? You know, <laughs> that attitude sometimes the team can have. But they played hard. We went after it this weekend. And a lot of it was just to feel like we're preparing ourselves also for this weekend. I think they did a great job of that. I think they stayed focused, worked hard. And um, I, I think this is going to be a good, good matchup and a good weekend for us. I'm really anxious to see. This is a big I mean, the Big 12 championship is going to go through Baylor this weekend for sure. Love so um, we're going to have to step up and be ready for it. You're awesome. Coach, have a great rest of your day. I'll see you down in Waco on Thursday night. Safe travels. All right. You too. Thanks, Plank. See you, Coach. Yeah. Patty Gasso. All right. I stand corrected. <laughs> to all of you that were on the text, I'm like, calm down. That's not going to be an approach. You guys got to chill out on that. Never mind. I told you I'm still learning stuff every single day. I absolutely love her so much. How can you not? And and you know what's interesting? Let's not get off the clock here. I want to follow up on something she said about that as soon as she said it, I wrote it down on pitching staffs, right? By the way, Wichita, with its win last night, has now won 14 of their last 15 games. 
Now, I don't know. I'll have to talk to some people. There's some facility requirements when you're going to host. And, again, unfortunately for Christy and that crew up there, they don't have the best facilities. Maybe maybe I'll text Nicole and ask her. But they've won 14 of their last 15 games. Two of those wins are against the number two-ranked team in the country. And um, one of them was on the road. They, they're really good. You know, two teams that we saw earlier in the season, Josh, that are playing a lot better, and, I, and I'm curious to watch them because I really haven't yet, are Stanford and Duke. And especially Stanford. I was going through this, and Stanford beat – they run-ruled. Well, they beat them 11-zip. I don't think it was quite a run-rule. I think it, they, they scored like five runs in the seventh or something. But I'm just – I'm real curious to see this Wichita team next week, and I'm real excited about it. But now, my juice is a little bit ramped up for Saturday, for Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Got to be, right? I mean, I've kind of been living in a, in a little – Bitter world that nobody wants me at the spring game, but yet every single text I get on my phone is about things I need to do for the spring game or things everyone else is doing. It's like, I'm not going to be there. But now he's like, hey, all of that, let's go. The only concern I have about this weekend is that my family's going with me. My gosh, the worst. Congratulations. Thanks. All right, quick break. I want to hit something Coach said more in depth next right here on The Rough. If I had a lighter in studio, I'd hold it up right now. Do they even do that anymore? Is it just phones now that everyone holds up at concerts? I've been to a concert in a while. Yeah, probably more phones, but you, you could do both. Still do a lighter? Could you imagine like trying to light a lighter at Los Angeles or California somewhere at a concert? It's like, sir, sir, would you put that out? Be losing their minds. Well, what am I saying? They'd probably be lighting their joints with it. Um, busy, busy show already, man. We, we spent most of the first hour, if you missed it, on Ari Wasserman's piece. I've reached out to Ari um, I want to listen to their podcast too, so I can get a little bit more educated on it. I again, it was literally the the story dropped right as the show started, and I just was enamored with it. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's worth your time. And we can get into the mechanics of how they use the formula to develop five their perception of you know what a five star prospect was, and then obviously the success of getting drafted, which a lot of people look at as development. But I would also – I think you could even drill deeper with it, Josh. If you came in as the number one, number one player in the class and you were a five-star prospect, if you just get drafted, is that really doing a good job of development? I, so, in other words, I've, I've been nitpicking at this since the moment it came out and, and trying to read it during breaks when we're not back there making coffee. But, yeah, I I mean, if you bring in – You should probably be a first right. three rounds kind of guy. Right. So, if you were – like, Jadavion Clowney was the number one ranked player in all of, of high school football when he came out, right? And he was the number one pick in the draft. So, I mean, do you really give South Carolina a ton of credit on development on that? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like when Because when I think about development, I think of – of uh, Zayvon Collins, I think of, you know, Teddy Layman's of the world, right? Those, like, five stars coming in, sure, they have to develop and have success, but for the most part, if you're a top-five guy and you go to Stanford and you're still drafted, but it's the seventh round, it's like, did you really? You, you absolutely give them credit because sure. because it lived up to, you know, Jadavian Clowney lives up okay. to the name that he came in with. So, Whereas, I mean, look at all these other examples where it's the opposite. Guys didn't get drafted, period. So then 
you're not necessarily disagreeing with me, but you're saying, hey, stop. You got to give uh, credit to South Carolina. Oh yeah, I right. mean, okay. If somebody goes top ten, I mean, okay, mission accomplished, and, and actually, then some. But if it's in that realm of player coming to college and it's like a third day pick, okay. There's the nuance of this that, hey, sure. you still got drafted, but did yeah. you really, truly develop his no. full potential? Yeah, I, I, I think there's a conversation to be had there for, again, <laughs> if you really wanted to do this study right, probably, I don't know how you have anybody outside of Alabama at the top of this list. With, with all due respect, look, they had 45 five stars. 45? I think it was 44, but you get the drift. And, yeah, it's a lot. And, you know, then where did those those five stars go? I just off the top of the last decade can tell you, yeah, a, a large number of them went in the NFL's first three rounds. It's always that that stat that comes out where it's like more three- and four-star prospects are drafted than five stars. And you're like, well, there's also a lot more three-star, four-star prospects as we've learned in this piece. All right. Guys, check it out. I'm going to listen to the pod. We'll get a few clips. And if you're into it, we'll go a little bit more in depth tomorrow. But I wanted to follow up on something Coach said. There was like five or six things that she said that really really kind of caught my attention. Number one, you bring in a pitcher, like at least in this instance, Kirsten Deal. Let's just use Kirsten as an example here. Josh, you've got to make sure that she is bought in on your plan because in in the world of the transfer portal, which, by the way, has literally always been a thing in softball. I mean, immediate eligibility has always been there Yeah, n- in nothing softball. New. It's not really anything new, but I, I just think – I'm sure the numbers are ridiculously larger now than they ever have been, but you also – you risk that player – saying, so I'm just developing this year. I'm not going to pitch, you know, 100-plus innings. Um, They've got to be in on the plan. And I think with Kirsten Deal, she could have gone – let's see, who is she down to? Is she down to softball recruiting nerds? Help me out. I think South Carolina was in in her final. I think that, you know, much like Jordy Ball, Nebraska was up there because it was hometown. And Jordy threw a lot of innings last year. But I think even Jordy throwing a lot of innings last year was something that everyone kind of stepped back and said, huh, all right, you know, you saw the injury late. Maybe it was something that she came in with and didn't even know that she'd been dealing with. Let's make sure they're healthy, and let's make sure that, you know, with the amount of time that you get and when you have pitching depth like the, you know, the, the extra COVID year has allowed you to have to a certain degree, you know, maybe it does give you an opportunity to develop an extra arm instead of just throwing them out there and needing them to be great right away. And in that sense, I feel like Oklahoma has been so smart about the way that they've handled this freshman and now sophomore class because – and oh, the freshman, now sophomore class, and the current freshman class because ne- you're not going into the SEC with Jada Coleman in center field. You're not going into the SEC with Riley Boone in the outfield. You're not going into the SEC with T.R.A. Jennings at second or what I would assume is going to be a natural transition to short. You're not going into the SEC with Alyssa Brito at third base, right? You're going into the SEC with Jordy Ball and this group of youngsters that are, you know, I'm sure there'll be transfer portal pieces and more big recruits. But when you play 
your SEC opener against Alabama, you know, your starting lineup is going to look significantly different than it did in 2024. So I, I for one, I, for one, love this plan with Kirsten Deal and S.J. Guerin because in the long run, it's going to make you better. And as long as, as long as they're in Josh Helmer, I think that that's what matters most. If the players are in, you're good to go. And, I mean, right now, why would you want to transfer away from Oklahoma? I want to go play more. Okay, go do it. But it just comes down to what do you value? Do, do you value winning more and winning big more? Or is the opportunity to be more of a significant contributor, if you're not at Oklahoma, do, do you value that more? I like the way that she talked about the focus for this team heading into the weekend. <laughs> they seem ready. They seem ready. This is a massive weekend in softball. This is a massive weekend in softball because uh, obviously a lot of eyes will be on Waco where, you know, you go back, what was that, February? You go back to February and we're, you know, that far removed from Oklahoma losing to Baylor, which, by the way, Again, for those of you that like to freak out over one loss, I'd say that they handled it well and got better from it. But what, you get Texas, Oklahoma State this weekend too in a huge so – Oklahoma State is doing the exact opposite of what I expected them to do this year. Now, again, to be clear, they're still a really, really good team. But I had talked about in the past, Josh – what I've seen from Oklahoma State is usually a team that starts out kind of slow, and then by the latter part of the season, you want no part of them. It's like, oof, they're on fire right now. Much different situation here in 2023. Much different situation. Because they're they're scuffling a bit right now. They're struggling. Yeah, had been, you know, number two, number three, and all of a sudden – not quite that lately. That, that series this weekend is Thursday, Friday, Saturday for Oklahoma State and Texas. So I don't know if that was originally on the schedule or if they had to adjust it due to weather. But, you know, Texas got beat last week by Kansas. Oklahoma State lost the third game uh, to Iowa State in extra innings. Probably should have lost two of the three. It's a big weekend in college softball, man. And, and a huge weekend in the Big 12. And Coach said, hey, the road to the Big 12 championship is going to go through Waco this weekend and she's she's not wrong she's not wrong Sooners got to take care of business boy if they come out of this weekend 12 and 0 and Oklahoma State drops a couple potentially you know we're talking about the potential to be able to maybe clinch the Big 12 next week but again that's a big if that's a big if yeah you got to go take care of business first if Oklahoma State gets swept this weekend by Texas, which I don't think is going to happen, and the Sooners roll, we might be able to celebrate clinching a championship next weekend. But that's the, we'll talk about that later. As one of my great bosses used to say, I think I think I had him for like a month. Clear Channel Josh Helmer back in the day. I went through some bosses. Let me tell you right now. Every single time I thought I was about to get fired, the boss would get fired. I'm like, oh, reprieve. Okay, we're this back in. Nice. We're back in, baby. We'll talk about that later. All right, text line next, 405-651-3439. And, I, I mean, again, not to continue to 
to talk about the weekend ahead for college softball. It's not just in the Big 12, Josh. There are massive matchups all over the top 25 this weekend. Arkansas is at Kentucky. The Hogs leaking. They leaking a little oil right now. Um, Utah is at Washington this weekend. South Carolina, who has jumped into the top 25, is at Georgia. Virginia Tech has been a massive disappointment so far this season, but they host Florida State this weekend. Florida State has been on fire. Arizona's at Oregon. Big weekend, college softball, man. Embrace it. Text line is next on The Ref. April 19th, 1995. Do you remember where you were when the bombing happened? You were young, right? Oh, man, I was so young. Yeah, no, I have I, – I, I don't have recollection of that day. Mm. I have, uh, I, th- I think about that day a lot because obviously I've I've read a lot about the why. Still trying to understand it. Still don't. Never will. The why behind how people allow themselves to just harbor so much evil. And today, like every day, we we remember, we learn, we honor, we we grieve, and. Most importantly, we learn, I am, I just, I've probably gone through the memorial five times, and I would encourage everyone to do so, even if you're listening out of state and you're coming into Oklahoma for a game, make it a, make it a part of your, make it a part of your trip. It is surreal. And, and again, it is, it's hard. You, you think about that, 1995. You're talking about kids that would be members of society, family, kids in school, right? Adults, and taken from them. I was a sophomore in college. I'll never forget that morning. I was a sophomore in college, Josh. I was living in the Sigma Chi house. And... I was doing what I typically did whenever I was in college, which is not go to class. And so we were sitting in Alan Prokoff's room, RIP Alan. And someone came running in. It's like, something's happened in Oklahoma City. Now, you got to remember, too, 1995, I'd been in Oklahoma for basically one year, essentially. So I don't even – my only trip to Oklahoma City had been for – the NCAA tournament game that Tulsa played there in 94. Oklahoma City was still this far-off place to me. It's like, whoa, that's all the way down there. And we watched, and Matt Mays, who now uh, owns a Chevy business dealership up in Springfield, Missouri, said, we got to go down there. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we got to go down there. And I don't remember if it was – We've got to see if we can help, which I don't even know if we knew we could help. I don't know if it was, we've got to see if we can see it. I'm not going to lie. I, I don't remember, but I just, I remember being in a car and pre-cell phones, right? Pre-intrawebs and just listening to the news reports on our way down and not knowing what we were going to see. And when we got down there, we... By that point, the perimeter had been secure. They didn't need any volunteers or anything, and we just kind of stood there and watched. You know, if, if they needed any help, we were 
trying to do what we could, and I don't think we were there very long because it became pretty apparent that, hey, there's nothing you can do here. You need to get out of here. And we turned around, we left, and listened to the news and watched the news that night. So it was just you wanted to try to do something to help. You drive down there, and you realize there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do right now. This is horrible. And I'll never, and I don't think anyone that lived in or around or were a part of anyone, anyone that was in the mirror building or around the building, it's it's truly one of the most horrific, gut-wrenching, devastating American tragedies we've had. So I, I know we haven't talked about it a lot today, and I just, on this it's not an anniversary, right? On this tragic day, we remember those who we lost. So I, I just wanted to make sure that it didn't get away from us. A lot of times in tragedies, it's those big anniversaries, like 20, 25, 30. 25, 30. Two years. So whenever you fall in, you know, kind of that middle of the range of, of, of years, like 24, 22, whatever, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that happened. And you know what else is, is, is good? I don't know how I feel about the overdramatics of some of the acting and, and you know, the, the movie portrayals of it. But I do think in what is it HBO or Showtime did with their Waco piece, which, again, was also tragically on this date. Um, but they've, they've kind of given a little bit more. I don't know if the term would be. You, you understand the people that were involved in every aspect of it. Right. Um, and not always in a good way. So Showtime has added kind of a post Waco piece that they're doing. I happen to see it in the hotel this weekend. And it focuses on, you know, Timothy McVeigh. Man, it's just it's sad. Can't think of any other way to put it. And we remember on this day. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit the text line next right here on The Ref. If you missed our interview with Patty Gatso, Josh is putting it up on the podcast page right now. If you missed our championship celebration on Monday with the OU women's gymnastics team, it's up on the podcast right now. Simply go to kref.com or search KREF however you consume podcasts. It starts on Uh, Hour two, which threw me off a little bit whenever I was going back through some cuts yesterday. (laughs) It's like, why? Why why are we talking not about gymnastics? Oh, that's right. They came in at 10. Uh, You guys have some good memories um, or good stories, I guess I should say. Terrible memories of this uh, incredibly tragic day. But we, we soldier on here on the Plank Show. We'll get to some of those thoughts coming up at the bottom next hour. Sound like a deal? Getting on sports. Because there's some... I think everyone has a story about that day. Everyone was affected in some way, shape, or form. If you lived here, or probably, right, if you just uh, were an adult, that young adult, old enough to understand what was going on, the gravity of the situation, yeah, you you remember it. Right. So I, there's a lot of really good questions here from the 918. Um, all of them – or in a roundabout way on recruiting. So I've never done this before in the history of the show. Um, I, he doesn't have a name, or she doesn't have a name in our texture, but there's two really good points on two different topics. 
because I don't even know this. So it's from the 918. Isn't the five-star label centered around the evaluation that, quote, this kid could be a first-round draft pick in this high school class or yes. would be? Okay, so it is? Absolutely. That's why they hand out the number that they do. Right. That's why there is, on average, around 35 five-star kids every class. 30, 32, 35. Okay. Yeah, in that neighborhood. All right. That's, that's fair. And, again, that always gets back to those numbers of, oh, there were so many more four-stars drafted, and you hear that nonstop. But if, if you even use, all right, 30 to 35 kids, right, or average five stars per class, how often does even half of the first round pan out in the NFL draft? So, I mean, I would – now I'm on a project that NFL I want to go picks? through. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you end up talking more around – because to me, if you take someone in the first round, if you're taking someone in the top 15, well, let me go maybe even a little bit more fine-tuned. If you're taking someone in the top 10, you're taking someone that Josh Helmer is supposed to be a, a pro bowler, right? They're a cornerstone piece of your franchise. Um, top 15 to 20, you want a, you want a dude – that's going to be a starter and someone who's going to be a difference maker. Yeah, impact guy. And maybe if you go down to that bottom half, you're still expecting someone that's going to come in and be a starter. Maybe at least get a pro bowl or two in their career. So I would I would love to see then, as we go towards the draft, just what is that hit rate on the first round period? I mean, we spend so much time telling you what teams are going to do in the draft. And, oh, I think that they're going in this direction. I don't really know if we've dug into the history like we should of just how inexact the science is of drafting players in general. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and there's plenty of misses. And, and then there's this. Uh, and, and maybe I'm not smart enough to understand some words, but the 918 added this. You have to kick the cycle at some point. You can't continue to bring in fifth-year seniors from the portal and then let them swipe a spot from a freshman or sophomore. What happens to S.J. Guerin or Kirsten Deal if you accentuate instead of develop? What if you've already done the damage? He adds, that's the factor Patty can't control, though, as long as they're bought in. You can't win with Deal or Guerin if they're not on the roster. I, I would say to the original point, Maybe I need to go a little bit deeper by what you mean with accentuate instead of develop. I mean, you, you're right. you got to be bought in. And Oklahoma's going to lose players. It happens. Zeta Pooney is the starting third baseman now at Tennessee. Mackenzie um, Donahue is the starting shortstop at Tennessee. Tierra Coleman. Uh, Tria Coleman is doing very well from the last I checked, what, out at, du- or, uh, at Houston? Uh, Mariah Lopez went to Arizona, right, to finish her career. Um, players transfer. It's part of it. But, I mean, if, if I go through that, you're not always bringing in, and I don't know if we're fighting over this or not, but it's been pretty consistent that Oklahoma's brought in transfer pitchers. I mean, I, I feel like that's been the – and everyone was worried in 17 when they brought in Paige Lowry. It's like, oh, my gosh, what does this mean for Paige Parker? And it ended up working out fine. You had to bring in G. Juarez, and G. wanted to be here in, what was that, 19 when she came in? Because that pitcher you had counted on in a lot of ways, even though there's nothing bad about Mariah Lopez, she, she had decided to move on as well, right? I think that was, after the, that was after the 19 season. So 
You had to count on G maybe a little bit more than you would want to. Brought in Shannon Sale, too. I forgot to mention Shannon. So I don't think you're always going to be bringing in a fifth-year senior to be your A. Sometimes that fifth-year senior will come in to be the one that, I don't know, accentuates your freshman star. Yeah. And, and let's be honest. If you've got Alex Duraco, though, who, oh, by the way, was the number one pick in the WPF draft, probably not the worst idea to go yeah. grab that player. I mean, I, I don't think you're going to say no to people. But f- fair points. And, and you're right. That's what Coach would even tell you. She's like, they look like they're bought into me. And as, as long as they're saying the right things and doing the right things, I have, I have nothing that I can sit here and do more. What is uh, Oklahoma's record this season? It's 39-1, and one, Josh. Oh. And do you know what the record has been through 40 games the last two seasons prior to this one? Yeah, 40-1 and one and 48-1. Yeah, so they've been 39-1 and one in each of the last three years. So I, I think for this one, I completely understand what you're saying. No one is beyond reproach, right? No one. But in this instance, I'm going to step back and just kind of – Model seems to be working. I'm going to let Patty work her magic. All right, quick break. When we come back, top five. Did you five save st- that? <laughs> kind of. Top five stories of the day next right here on The Ref.